Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Thursday, September 28th. Uh, big news, guys. Damian Lillard finally getting traded to the Bucks in a three-team deal involving the Phoenix Suns as well. Recurring guest Dwight James from Rip City 620 Radio will be joining us sometime next week to break it down from Portland side of things. And then I'm also in talks with a couple of people in Milwaukee to get their side of the story as well and how they all feel about it. But great show today, guys. Got Paul Allen from Minnesota's KFAN 100.3 FM. Going to talk the Vikings. A bad start to the season for them so far. Uh, what they have to do to kind of bounce back here. And, um, you know, we're going to talk the twins about the twins too. October around the corner. I think like five more, five more games left for the twins. They, they clinched obviously going to the playoffs. A uh, lot to get into with him. Great interview. Uh, that's going to come up in about a half an hour here when we're done talking about our stuff. But let's start, uh, opening up now, guys. What's the initial reactions? How are we feeling? What are we all thinking? This is monumental news. Uh, Eastern Conference getting shooken up a little bit, uh, heading into the NBA season only a month away. All right, so Damian Lillard's trade I thought was a good trade for all sides. I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks right now are probably the top team in the Eastern Conference right now with uh, Giannis and Damian Lillard as well. But a three-team deal here. I thought Miami was the front runner. Damian Lillard always wanted Miami. And he he didn't get it. He didn't get it this time. And the Milwaukee Bucks, I think it's a good, great trade for them. It was a three-team deal with Damian Lillard going to Milwaukee. The, play, the Trailblazers will receive Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, and Tamari Camara, a 2029 Camara, yeah. a 2029 unprotected first-round pick from the Bucks, and an unprotected Milwaukee swap in 2008 with their draft picks and a 2030 in the deal while the Phoenix Suns will land Yusuf Nurkic, Grayson Allen, Nasser Little and Kenyon Johnson. The move would present the move was a significant surprise. Obviously, as we just said Miami, now he goes to Milwaukee which looks like another top team in the Eastern Conference and in the NBA. Yeah, this is a surprise because we didn't even talk about the Bucks. It was all about the Raptors. It certainly was about the Heat for the last couple of months, but over the last day or so, everybody thought it was going to be the Raptors that he ended up going to. But I think Justin's right. I think this works out well for everybody because I think if you're Portland, you've got a nice young piece and uh, Drew Holiday, they're probably going to trade to get more pieces. But this is a rebuilding project. I think that's been pretty well established. So they've got a little bit of depth for that now. I would be a little surprised if both Drew Holiday and DeAndre Ayton are on the team next year. Uh, you look at Phoenix, the big thing about them is they've got stars, Kevin Durant, obviously, and now uh, Bradley Beal. But now they finally got some depth, along with uh, Devin Booker. So they've got some depth now. That that was the big problem that they ran into last year, You know, adding Grayson Allen and Yusuf Nurkic. I think that those are good quality pieces for them to uh, – pursue their own championship and when you look at the Bucks, obviously the big winners of this trade they talk about Giannis maybe not finishing his career there I think that's going out the window I think he's definitely finishing his career there and when you compare these two and you add these two together this is now the favorite in the Eastern Conference maybe the favorite to win the NBA championship because I don't think the Bucks even gave up a ton of depth either and now you've got three legit star players in Giannis 
Chris Middleton, who played together, and now you just add Damian Lillard into the fold, I don't think it's going to be much of a transition. I think everybody won this trade. Yeah, I mean, we just had a you know article on ESPN the other day about the Raptors being the front runners to uh, get Damian Lillard, and now this comes out of nowhere. It always seems like trades like this kind of come out of nowhere. You you get an article, you know, a week before or even a couple of days before, you know, with one team being the front runners to, to, to gain this uh, star talent. And then it ends up being a completely different random team. Bucks right now are current favorites. No shocker here. They actually did overtake the Denver Nuggets as the consensus favorites to win the NBA title next year. Lillard, 32.2 points per game last season. That's the most scoring average by a player to change teams the following season. Uh, what do you guys think of the Suns in this deal, though? I mean, they didn't really get a whole lot. They gave up they, they gave up Aiton, and they really didn't get much back. Now, I know Aiton hasn't been playing that well for the Suns recently, but I mean, what, do you, what, what are you thinking? The Suns definitely got the worst out of the three teams here. I think Portland actually got the worst of the three. I think the Suns got some depth, and I think DeAndre Ayton was never going to finish his career in Phoenix, so I don't really think it's all that bad of a move for the Suns. We talked about you know the star powers, obviously, there. They just needed some pieces. They only need to go about six or seven deep, and now they should be able to do that, and now they get rid of a guy in DeAndre Ayton who was kind of disgruntled, and his time had kind of run out there. So I, I think that's a fascinating aspect to look at this because everybody will focus on Dame. But I think the Suns actually got better with this trade as well. I think Phoenix is also flying under the radar too. Getting Grayson Allen, getting Yusuf Nurkic, Nasser Little, and Kenyon Johnson. That's depth on the bench. And Nurkic could be the starting center in Phoenix instead of DeAndre Yeah, and Scoot Henderson, the team is really trying to build up around him. We just said, you know, Milwaukee's gave up their 2029 unprotected first round pick uh, to Portland in this. And then they're swapping the... 2028 and 2030 picks as well uh so they're definitely you know portland clearly is looking five years ahead they're not looking now i'm surprised to hear you think zach that portland actually did get the worst of this deal though like i said i mean they got a lot of picks coming up they're not going to be coming up for another like four or five years but they still got a lot of yeah i don't think holiday's going to be there and i don't think ayton's going to be there either i think they're going to buy both of them out because i don't see holiday or ayton wanting to stay on a team that's rebuilding you think they're going to try to get more picks uh with holiday just try to yeah Yeah, they could that could that could be a big possibility they could make a trade for more younger players and draft picks yeah well we have paul allen coming on in a second here uh we'll talk to him about uh you know just portland's plans going forward and Really, most importantly, just the patience at the fan base. Uh, it's going to be an ugly four to five years. Damian Lillard was the only one really keeping that team in contention, even in conversations on the national media in the NBA. And now that he's gone, it's, uh, yeah, they're going to be one of the lower teams in the West for uh, for a good deal to come here. Okay, we're going to do our college f- uh, football previews like we always do on Thursdays. And so without further ado, let's uh, switch it back over to us. Let's do a quick Monday night football recap. I know it's been a couple of days since Monday night, obviously, but we'll kind of breeze through this real fast. Uh, we'll start with the first game, Eagles, Bucks. Really slow to start off with. Eagles did end up uh, getting their offense going uh, later in the game, and they were able to uh, give the Bucks their first loss. Um, first 3 0 start for the Eagles. Uh, in two consecutive years since 1992, even before we were born, Zach, and then obviously, especially you, Justin. Um, let me ask you this, guys: Is DeAndre Swift the best player on the Eagles right it looks now? Looks like it to me. He uh, 16 carries, 117 rushing yards on the game. I mean, 
This is a steal for the Eagles. This is a steal for the Eagles as well as Jalen Carter on that defensive line. Jalen Carter is playing out of his mind, and this defensive line is that good. This defensive line is lethal up front. They got a lot of players. They got Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, even Fletcher Cox playing defensive tackles, doing very well. Uh, Nolan Smith even made a play on Monday night, as well as uh, Josh Sweat. Hassan Reddick still got to get going. Brandon Graham as well. But this team is finding ways to win games, even without Jalen Hurts playing A-plus football. Yeah, this is a defensive line the last year that almost set the NFL record for sacks in a season, and yet they're almost better this year when you add in Jalen Carter. Fletcher Cox is still playing at an elite level. Nolan Smith's still playing at an elite level. This is a defensive line that is carrying this team right now, and I trust that Jalen Hurts will get it figured out. DeAndre Swift has been a godsend for this team, 130 rushing yards. I think it's pretty clear at this point he's RB1, and they got A.J. Brown involved early, nine catches, 131 yards. I think this is an offense that will get things figured out, but – the Eagles have played two road games to this point. They haven't played perfect, but they're 3-0. and So I, I'm still not all that concerned about them. I think Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator, uh, they'll get it figured out eventually. And this is a team that will be one of the best in football. I mean, they're one of only a couple 3-0 and teams. I think it's the Dolphins, the Niners, and them. And they haven't even played A-plus football. So I think that's a good sign for this team going forward. And no surprise about the Bucs. I mean, they started 2-0, and but – we saw the difference between a contending team in the Eagles and a team that is 2-0, but they're in the NFC South. Yeah, uh, Bucks. like I said, uh, past show, they've actually been really good defensively. Uh, today, or uh, Monday night, they were not that good. They yielded 201 rushing yards. I know DeAndre Swift obviously had 130 of those. A.J. Brown got back in the groove, though. Nine receptions, 131 yards. But yeah, my biggest takeaway, DeAndre Swift can't be stopped. Hurts has gone 20 uh in the last 21 regular season games hurts is 20 and one only have one loss in the last 21 regular season games for hurts that's pretty amazing i i didn't actually i knew he was doing pretty good um you know last year obviously he started off the season winning his first eight games and then uh took a little bit of a step back there but um yeah great for hurts and great for the eagles they're going to definitely be the team to beat this year in the nfc and uh the whole nfl actually uh period Next game, guys, Rams-Bengals. Um, really, really ugly game to start the game off. Um, it was 6-6 six, six going into halftime, I'm pretty sure if I remember, and then finally things got picked up a little bit in the second half. Bengals were able to get the win, avoid the three or 0-3 start. Uh, Burrow pretty much got did what he had to do to get the job done, 26-49 for 49 with a season-high 259 yards and also threw uh, his second interception of the season. Jamar Chase, he's back. Uh, 12 catches, 141 yards. Um, what else do you guys want to take away from this game? What else um, is there to kind of say from this game? Like I said, really boring first half, but then uh, things were able to pick up, thankfully, uh, in the second half. Much needed win for the Bengals. Burrow had to play, and he did. I know he only threw an interception and no touchdowns, but the Bengals really needed this game, as I just said. The Bengals... And the Rams, the Rams being 1-1 one one going into the game, they didn't really need the game. I wouldn't say they didn't really need the game, but they were uh, they were rebuilding. I mean, they're not the what the Bengals had for the expectations coming into the year, and Bengals needed this game. 
Yeah, they, you can't start 0-3 and expect to make the playoffs. So the Bengals did what they had to do, and they really did on the defensive side of the ball. Logan Wilson had two interceptions. Dax Hill had a big game. Uh, Sam Hubbard had a big game. This is a defense that needs to continue to do what they're doing, kind of to step up while Joe Burrow sorts it out right now. But if I'm the Bengals, offensively, the fact that they threw the ball 49 times and Joe Mixon only got the ball 15 times, that that's too out of whack, especially considering Joe Burrow's injury right now. They need to be more balanced running the football, take a little pressure off of Joe, get the offensive line under control because it's been a little up and down to start the year. And Jamar Chase had 12 receptions. The next closest guy had five. And T. Higgins only had two catches. So this is an offense that's still not completely in rhythm. They needed to get a win. They got one. And now you look at their schedule over the next three games. They've got the Cardinals. They've got the Seahawks. They've got manageable games before they go to San Francisco. They, they need to get on a bit of a streak, and hopefully for their sake they're 4-2 and two going into that game. And if they are, then they're very much part of the conversation. Yeah, you mentioned the defensive side of the ball for the Cincinnati, though. Uh, two interceptions, both by Logan Wilson, and then obviously they sacked uh, Matt Stafford uh, six times as well. So... Defense definitely helped get the job done for the Bengals on Monday night while uh, Joe Burrow still tries to recover from his foot injury. Uh, tonight, let's uh, preview tonight's game, guys. Packers-Lions, uh, surprisingly, actually a decent Thursday night football matchup. Don't really see this often. <laughs> uh, Lions offense playing really, really good. Uh, they averaged 270 passing yards per game. That's 7th in the NFL, and they have 112 rushing yards per game. That's 11th in the NFL. Um, what else, uh, what do you guys think from this game? Like what, what are your predictions going into this game? Justin, we can start with you. Um, defense starting to come on for the lions. Like I said, offense, offensively speaking, lions already have a really, really good offense. I think the Packers are going to actually struggle against this team. The lions team. I do think lions are going to be three and one going into week four, but Justin, let's start with you. What do you, what do you think about this game coming up tonight? Prime video. I think this is a good game. For, uh, for Thursday Night Football, as you just said. I think that the Packers will come away with the game at home. I, I just think the Lions... I, I can't really trust the Lions as the favorite. And I just I just think the Lions are, are overhyped so far. I mean, the Packers, pretty good start for them. I didn't think they would be 2-1 to start the season. But they're doing pretty good. And Jordan Love is keeping it, keeping it go, going good. For the Packers, I think they win. It's at home. I know Lambeau Field. The Lions won it last year in that Week 18 game, but I think the Packers get it done. And I can't trust the Lions as a favorite as far as I can throw them. I'm with Justin. I, I think there's a difference with the Lions as far as last year when they went to Lambeau. All the attention was on the Packers trying to clinch a playoff spot. The Lions are a bit off the radar, and they went up there and surprised everybody. Well, now they have expectations. We saw in Week Two when they had the to handle the expectations after beating Kansas City. They couldn't do it. They lost to the Seahawks. I think the big question in this game is the health of Aaron Jones, the health of Christian Watson. If those guys don't play, then I think it's going to be tall odds for the Packers to win this game. But I think they showed something coming back from down 17-0 in the fourth quarter the other day to beat the Saints. I think Jordan Love has looked pretty good to this point. And we know the Packers' defense is going to keep them in games. Uh, but again, the Lions, it's one of those teams where I just don't trust them as a favor right now, and coming off a short week, I think a little bit more momentum is on the side of the Packers. So I'm taking Green Bay at home to knock off the Lions. Yeah, uh, this is not really a must-win for the Packers either. I mean, uh, 
Week five, Raiders. Week six, Broncos. Week seven, Vikings. Vikings have been playing terribly. We'll get into that in a second with Paul. But then they play the Rams. Obviously, that'll be a tough team on week eight. Then they go to the Steelers week nine. Uh, they have their problems for sure. Chargers week 10, they have their problems. And then they play the Lions again in week 11. So Packers, uh, this is not a must win. Their, their schedule coming up is actually pretty easy. They are an exciting team, though. You mentioned Jordan Love. I mean, he's kind of coming into a shell a little bit, taking over the offense, taking over the team after Aaron Rodgers left. Aaron Jones, he's still a question mark whether he'll come like when he's coming back. But the young receiving core is actually coming together pretty well for the for the Packers. So that's really exciting for if you're a Packers fan. I mean, Luke Musgrave, Jaden Reed, Romeo Dobbs, they're all playing really well for the Packers and it might not be this year coming up for them, but they, there's definitely a lot of exciting things for the Packers uh, going forward in the future. Let's go to college football, guys. Uh, let's do our previews like we always do on a Thursday show. Uh, like we always do, we start with the closest game, what we think will be the closest game this weekend on Saturday. Um, Justin, uh, yeah, Zach, let's start with you. Sorry. What do you think will be their closest game this week on this Saturday slate college football? Let's go to Friday night. <clears throat> Oregon State against Utah, I think, is going to be a very close, low-scoring kind of game. Two very good defenses, and you look at what Oregon State's got with Fenwick Martinez, one of the best running backs in the country, and then you've got a Utah team that their defensive line is phenomenal. Uh, beat UCLA the other day 14-7. to I think these are two teams that play low-scoring, close games. Utah is still trying to figure out the quarterback situation. We don't know if Cam Rising is going to play or not. So far, it hasn't mattered because they're still 4-0. I think Oregon State probably gets it done at home after losing to Washington State last week, kind of a desperation game for them. But I could easily see this being a 17-14, 20-17 kind of game. So I'm going to go up to Corvallis and go with Utah and Oregon State. I'm going to go Old Miss, LSU. Old Miss uh, played Alabama last week, of course, we all know. Could have won, could have taken control of the SEC West with a win against uh, Alabama last weekend. And now with playing LSU uh, this weekend on Saturday, they also have a chance again to take control of the SEC West if they could beat LSU. Um, since since the loss to FSU, uh, LSU has been playing really, really good, though. I mean, they've been posting 50, 530 yards per game. Jaden Daniels is averaging 338 yards each time uh, since the FSU lost, uh, covering over 1,300 yards with uh, 14 all-purpose touchdowns and only two interceptions. Old Miss, though, they're also playing really, really good offense too. Like I said, they're they're smelling blood. They want to they want to get that SEC uh, West title. They have 470 yards per game. Uh, that's 22nd in all of college football. Jackson Dart been playing really, really well. This could also be my shootout of the week as well, but I am going to say it's the closest game just because again these teams are definitely hungry hungry to get that uh, SEC West. Um, you know, lead going into uh, next Saturday. Uh, Justin, how about you? What's your closest game of the week? My closest game of the week is Notre Dame and Duke. Notre Dame's going to be in another dogfight this week. Duke has been playing very much under the radar, 17th ranked. They're going to Duke as well. So I think that game's going to be very close at 730. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Zach, what's your most intriguing storyline this weekend? Uh, what what storyline are you really looking into outside of the game that you're you're intrigued to watch on uh, on Saturday? Yeah, how does Colorado bounce back? Pretty simple. I mean, they just got shown their ass against uh, Oregon. You know, with the trash talking and getting blown out very early on that game, four seventy eight to thirty four. They were outgained at one point. I think they actually match up better with USC than they do with Oregon because Oregon is a physical team in the trenches on both lines of scrimmage. 
USC is not a very physical team. They're more of a finesse, up-tempo team. I don't trust Alex Grinch's defense as far as I can throw it. They gave up 28 against Arizona State the other day. So I'm not saying Colorado's going to win this game, but I think it's going to be a lot more entertaining. I think it's going to be kind of a back-and-forth game. And that line looks awfully large. USC's favored by 21-and-a-half. And remember, USC's playing a 9 a.m. body clock game because that game's in Boulder. It's a big noon kickoff. So it's going to be an early game for USC. Caleb Williams mm-hmm. is tremendous. We know Shadur Sanders is tremendous. But can Colorado bounce back and at least make this game competitive? Because if they play well against USC, I think it's still a statement that this team is pretty close to where they want to be. They're still pretty good. And last week wasn't what this team actually is. So I want to see how Colorado bounces back in a game that they should match up better against USC than they did against Oregon. Vegas loves the 21-and-a-half line for Colorado. I think TCU first week, that was 21-and-a-half. I think when they played Oregon last weekend, it was also 21-and-a-half. And then this this weekend against USC is also 21-and-a-half. I guess that's the line that Vegas gives. Uh, I don't know. That, that Vegas just loves that line for Colorado this year for some reason. But, yeah, Zach, that's, my also, that's also my most intriguing storyline. Uh, can it really be anything else? I mean, we got to see Colorado come back. Shadir come back. We have to see him kind of bounce back after the really, really bad loss uh, when Oregon put 42 points on their heads last weekend. Williams, uh, Caleb Williams is neck and neck uh, with Penix for um, Heisman. Uh, Williams, 1,200 yards, 15 touchdowns with no interceptions this year. Obviously, Penix is playing amazing uh, for Washington. Yeah, Zach, but this is my storyline, too. They're not going to win. They're not going to beat USC this weekend, but they can't afford to get blown out again like they were last week. Justin, how about you? What's your most intriguing storyline this week? I'll go with Colorado and USC. Colorado has to bounce back in this game. I wouldn't say they have to, but they will give USC a dogfight, maybe even an upset in Boulder, but we'll uh, we'll see what USC has to offer, especially with... They're kind of, it's kind of an early game for them, but Colorado is going to be at home. How about upset alert, guys? The most uh, fun thing about college, it can seem sometimes. Zach, we're going to start with you. Who is on upset alert for you heading into Saturday or Friday? Uh, it's going to be LSU. LSU's favored by two and a half, going on the road to Oxford to play Ole Miss. I think the Rebels need a balance back after that poor performance against Alabama last week. And if you watched LSU play against Arkansas, they gave up a lot of big plays last week. This is a defense that has really struggled against the two best offenses they played this year, Florida State and Arkansas. So I think this is a shootout kind of game. And I think coming back with Quinshaw Junkins, with Jackson Dart, Ole Miss needs this game. Lane Kiffin needs what they would call a signature win. I think he gets it. I think Ole Miss knocks off LSU. I don't trust the Tigers at this point. Jane Daniels can look like the best quarterback in the country on one drive and the worst quarterback in the country on the next drive. So I'm going to go with Ole Miss at home to knock off LSU. Yeah, like I said, that was my um, that was that was my closest game of the week, and you know, closest game and upset alert can kind of have some similarities. I, I agree, Zach. I think uh, they're definitely on upset alert. LSU, uh, as I said earlier, fighting for that spot in the top spot in the SEC West with a win this weekend. Uh, my upset alert, I'm going to go with Duke and Notre Dame. Um, Duke has been playing pretty well. Notre Dame is definitely a better team. Duke comes into this game with nothing to lose, though. They have exceeded expectations this year. They really have nothing to lose going into this game. Uh, Riley Leonard has been great, uh, but their rushing attack is even better for Duke. I mean, Leonard himself has been – he has 778 rushing yards, and he has two rushing touchdowns. And then 
Uh, Jordan Waters, their lead running back uh, for Duke, 39 carries, 258 yards, and seven touchdowns, rushing touchdowns on the year. Irish struggles uh, defensively against the rush, though. So this is going to be an interesting matchup. Duke, I think, is going to really run the ball down their throats, and Notre Dame's going to have a really hard time stopping them. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see. I think Notre Dame, like I said, is still the better team. They probably still will win, will win, but Duke is definitely going to cover this cover the spread. And I think uh, Duke might even have a chance to come away with this victory. Uh, Justin, how about you? Who's on upset alert for you? Upset alert. I got Florida on upset alert at Kentucky. Kentucky, I know they're four and zero at home, but the Gators have not been a good road team this year. So far, losing on the road to Utah at Utah, but winning there, but going three and one at home. And without Ricky Paracel, they're going to be in trouble. They're going to be in trouble. Kentucky at home being four and zero, one and zero in the conference as well. But I think that the I think that the Wildcats get the win here. I think Florida is due for an upset. Okay, shootout of the week. What games are we thinking are going to be fun? Fun watches this weekend. A lot of points. Uh, a lot of explosive plays. Zach, we'll start with you. What is a shootout of the week to look out for? Well, this I think Saturday? the obvious answers would be USC, Colorado, where LSU will miss. So I'll go different. Actually, I'll go with Texas and Kansas because Kansas brings back Jaden Daniels, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. They're four and zero, and they kind of flew under the radar. Back to back years, Kansas being four and zero. I think it's the first time ever that's happened. Now they're going to Austin, and Texas next week has a big game against Oklahoma. So how much of their minds really going to be in on this game? But I do know this. Quinn Ewers, Xavier Worthy, they've got big play weapons all over the place. I think both these offenses are going to crank it up. I think it's a fun shootout. I think Kansas keeps this game competitive until early in the fourth quarter. I could see like a 45-31 Texas win where they don't look great on defense, but their offense gets it together because Kansas really can't stop anybody either. And Texas maybe with the look-ahead factor getting ready to play Oklahoma next week. So I think that's going to be a shootout down by the four acres at, uh, in Austin. Yeah, we're on zinc today. Sync today, Zach. That's also my shootout of the week. It's a big, it's a, it's a big twelve game against really good offenses. I mean, do you really need to say more as far as a shootout goes? Jayhawks actually average more yards per game and points per game than Texas. I know Texas has played harder opponents than the Jayhawks, but Jayhawks four hundred and sixty three uh, yards per game versus Texas's four thirty two, and then Jayhawks is thirty eight uh, points per game uh, versus Jay. Uh, Texas is 35 points per game. Like I said, competition, not the same. Um, but yeah, that, that's going to be my shootout of the week. Zach, you already kind of covered it pretty well. Uh, both their offenses are going to come play. The t- defense for Texas will end up actually winning the game for Texas, but this is an over-under of 63.5 according to FanDuel. I'm definitely going to take the over on this game. It's going to be a really exciting game to watch. Justin, how about you? What's a, what's a shootout of the week for you? Shootout of the week, I'm going LSU and Old Miss. 13th ranked at 20th ranked teams for this game. I think that uh, that Old Miss is really going to come out and really going to make this a shootout with Jackson Dart at quarterback. Jalen Daniels as well. I think he has a big game. And uh, you know, 10th, 10th ranked passing yards so far this season for LSU. And for Old Miss, they are also 13th ranked in passing yards. They have good. These are good offenses. These are really good offenses, and I think it's going to come down to the wire at Old Miss. 
All right, Zach, what game are you keeping off your TV this week? Who's your snooze uh, Oregon Stanford. This is going to be a blowout. Stanford is one and three. They have not beaten an FBS level opponent this season. And Oregon, we just saw what they did against Colorado the other day. I think Oregon's one of the best teams in the country. Stanford is an absolute dumpster fire at this point. And even though it's at Stanford, there's going to be more Oregon fans than Stanford fans. This is not going to be pretty. Yeah, my snooze of the week is going to be Pitt and Virginia Tech. Both teams that used to be good, uh, now they're both the worst teams in the ACC heading into uh, Week 5. Virginia Tech couldn't get anything going against a really bad Marshall team last week. Pitt hasn't been playing well either. They still have not found their QB. I mean, Phil Jakovic has been really, really bad. Only 583 yards in the season with four touchdowns, but three interceptions. Um, yeah, it's just going to be an ugly game. Like I said, I'm not, I haven't been, I have not been impressed with Pitt. Virginia Tech has been playing really bad too. Um, yeah. I'm not, yeah, this is going to be a snoozer of a game for me. Justin, how about you? What's, um, what's your snoozer of the week? Missouri at Vanderbilt. This is going to be a blowout. Missouri's going to look really good. They're off to a really good start at 4-0 with the 20, at ranked at 23rd. Vanderbilt is just not a good, not a good college football program so far, and I think Missouri's going to blow them out at Vanderbilt. Okay, guys, let's move on to the Ryder Cup. Another big storyline this week um, started a couple days ago. Um, Team Europe has dominated the Americans on home soil. Uh, Team USA has failed to win the Ryder Cup on European soil since 1993. Again, before we were even born, Zach. I was born in uh, Americans are less. I think I was oh, really? three months old. Before yeah. the Ryder Cup? Before yeah. the Ryder Cup? Okay. Yeah. I was 94, so I was a little bit past that. Americans are listed as the favorite, though, despite this uh, despite this fact not winning in over uh, almost, well, yeah, over two decades, uh, three decades, excuse me. Uh, America, uh, Americans are listed as the favorite. Uh, 110, minus 110, so that's basically just a scratch. Uh, but, um, yeah. Ryder Cup, uh, 105 underdogs are Europeans. And like I said, Americans won 10 favorites. I'll go over the, the teams real fast, and then I'll get your guys' thoughts uh, heading into this weekend. USA, Sam Burns, Patrick Cantley, Wyndham Clark, Ricky Fowler, uh, Brian Harmon, Max Homer, Brooks Kefka, Colin Murakara, Taylor Shoffley, Scotty Scheffler, Jordan Spieth, and Justin Thomas. And then Europe, might pronounce some of these wrong, but Lud- Ludwig, Aberg, Matt Fitzpatrick, Tommy Fleetwood, Tarot Hatton, Nicole Hardgard, Victor Hovland, Shane Lowry, Robert McKintry, Rory McIlroy, John Ram, Justin Rose, and Sepp Straka. Uh, like I said, it is um, it's going to be a fun one, guys. Ryder Cup always a fun time to watch. What are what are your big points and takeaways that you want to get off heading into this exciting weekend of golf? Well, the good news for Team USA is all they have to do is tie to keep the Ryder Cup because that's what happens if it ends in a tie. Then whoever has it keeps it. But I think the U.S. has the deeper team, but I think the top three players right now are Rory McIlroy, Victor Hovland, and John Rahm, and those are all on the European side. I think you could make the argument either way. Uh, Home soil could be a big factor for the European team. I think the American team is a little bit deeper right now, as we've seen. They had more success in the majors than the European players have had. And I, I have a funny feeling Justin Thomas is going to prove some people wrong because he's been very good in international play before, and I think he's going to bounce back and have a big performance this week. But you look just at the depth of the U.S. roster with Scotty Scheffler, Brooks Kepka, you know, some of the top players in the world. I think America's got the deeper roster. I think 
Europe has more top end talent. I'll take the U.S. to win 14 and a half to 13 and a half because it's 28 total points. I think the U.S. wins, but I think it's going to be really close. Justin, any uh, last minute words before moving on to complaint tips of the week for the Ryder Cup? This will be a dog. This will be a dog fight in the Ryder Cup. I think it's going to be very close. The USA, they have the edge in golfers, but Europe, they have a lot of good golfers. So I think this is going to be very close here. Okay, let's move on to complaintives of the week. Uh, Zach, who's your complaintive of the week? What's your complaintive of the week? Can Lou Holtz just be quiet already? Quit complaining about Ryan Day. Quit complaining about Notre Dame. Like I feel Notre Dame won the game. Well, there's this magical thing called a scoreboard that shows Notre Dame, in fact, did not win the game. Time of possession, yards, third down conversions, everything favored Ohio State. So this whole notion that Notre Dame outplayed Ohio State is something that I do not understand. And for Lou Holtz to say after the game, like, oh, yeah, I meant what I said. Ryan Day can't beat Michigan, all that kind of stuff. Well, you know who he can beat, Lou Holtz? He can beat Notre Dame because he did it back-to-back years. So, yeah, I know you're 86 years old. You were probably in bed before the game ever started. But you know what? You got to take the L on this one, Lou. Move on. My complaintive of the week, uh, staying in college football, been the theme this episode, of course, Thursdays. Georgia and Michigan are still ranked one and two, respectively. Uh, Georgia, Michigan, obviously, have been playing really good this year, but they're above Texas, OSU, FSU, and even Washington. Zach, me and you have said it multiple times. I think Washington should actually be number one ranked in yes. the country right now. Uh, you know, Michael Penix is playing amazing. We, we said that earlier. OSU went against 11 Notre Dame last weekend. FSU against LSU and then Texas, Alabama. Uh, resumes for these other teams that are behind uh, Georgia and Michigan are better than uh, much better than uh, Georgia, especially and Michigan. Georgia has played absolutely nobody so far, and those teams that you know they're ahead of, like I just said, that have played much more impressive games and have much more impressive victories. Uh, it just seems like the AP voters are so attached to their preseason rankings that they kind of refuse to ever break away from them, and that's why it's so frustrating. But yeah, the two best teams in the country should be uh, crushing FSS and lower FBS teams, but neither the Bulldogs or Wolverines have really even done that this year, uh, despite, like I said, uh, playing worse or opponents. So yeah, that's my complaint of the week. Get Georgia and Michigan uh, out of the top one and two and uh, – Give it to the more deserving uh, teams that are behind them. Justin, how about you? Who's your complaintive of the week? My complaintive of the week is the rankings. Once again, Texas should be in the top three again. I, they were just ranked number three, but uh, but Penn State, Penn State, almost is just a a uh, you know top four team. I think at this point. I know I said it last that they weren't the top four team. But uh, I think but Penn State should be in the top rankings again. I mean, Oregon should pro- should also probably be the fourth, should probably be in the top four, maybe even top five with their blowout win against Colorado. The rankings, not, not too impressive so far. Maybe we can stave off on the rankings until later in the season. All right, guys, great intro. Really exciting uh, college football coming up this weekend. Uh, Pack slate, just like it was last week. Really excited for it. Let's move on to our interview with Paul Allen. Like I said earlier, uh, great talk with him, all things Minnesota sports. We're really just 
the Vikings and the Twins, the the relevant teams going on right now. We're going to talk about the Vikings. Uh, very bad season so far for them. Uh, why has it been so bad? What do they have to do to get back to, to winning form? Uh, and do they even have a chance to make the playoffs at this point? And speaking of playoffs, Twins on the way to the playoffs, uh, clinched their division and heading into October in just a couple of, you know, just a week even actually. Uh, first wild card series start on Tuesday. October October 3rd on Tuesday. So yeah, we'll have um Bob Nightingale on again on Tuesday's show. To give a whole MLB uh preview, MLB playoff preview. Great interview with him and then uh but first, let's go to Paul Allen in uh, Minneapolis and uh let's talk some Minnesota sports with him. Okay, we now have the Minnesota and talk to Kate Van 100.3's Paul Allen. Uh Paul, Vikings 0 and 3 to start the season. National media is saying that their luck has run out. They had a lot of close games last year. A lot of games went, you know, they they won by one score, one score of thir- uh, yeah, thirteen and five record last year. Won by one score. A lot of those games, and now the national media is saying that their luck has run out. What is the local perspective saying though? Do they feel the same way, or mm. are they saying what are they saying? Well, I mean, they're. they're- there's a difference between the local perspective and my perspective. Um, I'm not, you know, um, I, I'm not a doomsayer kind of individual, but um, if it's bad, it's bad. And, and if it's really good, it's really good. Um, I'm not big into luck either. So, uh, you know, they, be, because to say that, that it all involved luck winning 11 one score games last year, it just really disrespects the people who are executing it under pressure-related situations, we never will be able to relate to. So they did it last year 11 times, and now they've lost four consecutive one-score games, uh, three this year and the playoff game against the Giants. So the you know the, the record's 0-3. Um, there are a lot of details and, and a lot of unseen realm-type things that have gone into this year, like losing seven fumbles in three games, JJ at the at the pylon when we're going to beat Philly on Thursday night football, and now all of a sudden the Eagles have the ball. I mean, uh, these things are like snowflakes, boys. Uh, no two are alike, and uh, and this one for me, man, this one is just it has hit a different way. How has the team dealt with the loss? How's the coaching and the players? Is there frustration on the sideline in the locker room, or, or is there you know? some resilience at 0-3? Well, they're, they're, I mean, it's a really good question um, because when, when you know, you are as good and hot as they were last year, you know, and that's the first year for the head coach, general manager, just a lot of people within the organization. I mean, it got to a point last year where, you know, since they let me watch practice, I mean, I went almost every day. I mean, I just wanted to be around it. The spirit in the building was unbelievable last year. Now, this year, um, I you know what? I talked to a lot of people about a lot of different things, and, and I'm not getting any finger pointing. I'm not hearing, you know, anything where like, you know, hey, this is great, but this sucks. It's, you know, I was there for quite some time, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and, and today. I did my radio show on KFAN there today. And, and I do my one-on-one interview with Kevin O'Connell every Tuesday out there. So I'm there for about two and a half hours. And it's, it's more sadness. It's just they're sad, you know, because these coaches have been around the block. 
But, you know, when, when, I mean, just look at the LA Chargers game. It's everything that happened there, including a cornerback going to catch it, and then it bounces into the hands of a Charger. Touchdown. Serendipitous score. And uh, the the TJ Hawkinson fumble early. But through all of that, Keenan Allen throws the first touchdown pass of his career. Oh, through all of that, we're throwing to KJ Osborne front right of the end zone to win it. And they missed by that much. Jordan Addison had a touchdown at the end of the game to win it. And they missed it by that much. TJ Hawkinson at the goal line, what turned out to be the last play, missed it by that much. It's the details, man. They're very, very close to winning well, five, six, seven now, in a, a row. A lot of the um, scrutiny the Vikings get is that they keep games close when they really shouldn't keep games close. I mean, they have the best wide receiver in the league, many would argue. Uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I mean, he leads the league right now in passing yards as it currently is. What do you? How do you respond to that rhetoric? I mean, with the Vikings just in general, like they keep games too close. I mean, how do you respond to that? Do you think they should be... You know, just go ahead. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can. Um, uh, but the only way I can respond to it is just to share with you my experience over uh, what I think would be 22 years. And I'm just going to tell you right now, the last time there was a Minnesota Vikings team with which I worked that did what you said, high-powered offense, defense can be good at times, why don't you just whoop butt and not make everything interesting? We got to go back to 2009, all right, with Brett Favre, Sidney Rice, Percy Harvin, Adrian Shanko, Hall of Fame guard Hutchinson, the Williams wall on the defensive side, Jared Allen. Um, like 2019, they, they won their first playoff game in New Orleans, then went to uh, San Francisco and got killed. So like 2019, it doesn't jump out at me that they were killing teams week after week. So I see what you're saying, but – if you really look at a lot of games around the league, even the games the Chiefs play in sometimes, except when they're not playing the Bears, man, these suckers are close. And, okay, I mean, Houston just went to Jacksonville and won. Uh, Indianapolis just went to Baltimore and won. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals beat the bleep out of the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, come on, man. It's uh, Maybe it's one of those years, you know? So you mentioned turnovers earlier. Vikings have a minus seven turnover ratio. Um, if that was even cut in half, saving three turnovers, four turnovers, what I mean, would, would this be a two and one team? Because, like you said, they're, they're losing by very slim margins. I think 12 total points they've lost to, they lost by this whole season. If that was like three, like I said, three, three, four turnovers, would this be a two and one team? Well, it, it I mean, probably, I think it'd be three and oh. I mean, I don't know if you guys watched that Thursday, Thursday night game we had against the Eagles where. Punt returner Brandon Powell dropped one, and you know they they were dropping it again, and um, yet we were in a position where Jefferson went leaping for the end zone, and it's that weird pylon whatever rule where it's a fumble and the other team gets the ball like the twenty. Uh, but if he gets in there, ooh, I think we're going to win that game. Um, the 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 hidden super big negative. To, to the, I think, six or seven fumbles we've lost this year in three games is where they're happening on the field. The Jefferson bit happened at the goal line. We had one against Tampa at the two. Uh, against Philadelphia on the punt return, we're inside the 40. We got another one last week at the 28 on the first drive. We're going to get a first down scoreless game, and we lose one. Oh, man, it's, it's un like I said, they're snowflakes. 
No two are alike, but this one is shaped away so far I've never seen. I know you've heard the rumors about uh, Kirk Cousins potentially being traded. Um, what do you think about that? Let's say they go. Actually, I yeah. have. Well, I know not national. Well, not not rumors. Excuse me, but like there's been a lot of speculation. People may be calling for. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't. Um, I don't. I don't follow that or address that. Um, if it's coming from super small dot coms looking to get clicks, if uh, if Tom Pelissero, a good friend of mine, t- um, talks to me or puts a tweet out there that um, Kirk Cousins. You know that that there's some that he could be traded or there's trade talk, then then yeah then then we would have some meat. But um, I mean, uh, so therefore, if you're asking me, you know whether Kirk could be traded or would it be the right move to trade him or yeah, I mean it's from the business standpoint of it, uh, the fact that Kirk is unrestricted right now and we are zero and three. I'm still going to put it at an incredibly, I'm not a zero or 100 or best ever, worst ever kind of guy. Uh, so I ain't going to zero because there's nothing zero, uh, but it's really, really low. So there's no, you don't think there's a chance that they would trade him. I think the fans would, I don't think that. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, if it's, if it's, if it's not a zero, well, there could be sure. a chance. Um, I mean, let's put it this way. Say you're Quasi Adolfo Mensa. Um, the general manager of the team, and they're 0-3, or say they lose against Carolina. Oh, by the way, after Carolina, we have for Mahomes. So let's just say it starts 0-5. Uh, I don't even know when the trade deadline is, so uh, it might even be after that, but it's, it's somewhere around there. And say somebody calls you and says, look, you know what? Because Kirk is, I mean, Kirk is unbelievably accurate. His deep ball is very accurate. And he can go like right hash, left sideline. I mean, he has the arm. And I, I've always said it on my radio show on KPAM, and and I mean it. And I don't care who the defense is, man. With, with the arsenal they have now or last year with Dalvin, um, if you protect Kirk consistently, he will kill any defense in the National Football League. At any, mm-hmm. any defense, that's how good he is. But he gets hit more than anybody. You know, but he still bounces back. So that that is a desirable commodity for certain teams. Um, now, Kirk has a no trade, I believe, so he would have to sign off on it. But um, say you're Quasi and somebody calls up with a whopper of a deal and they're like, they, I mean, they just way want to overpay with whatever. I mean, of course you got to listen to it if you ain't winning games. Because then that gives you the option with the picks you have next year and these picks, and more of your picks, or more of whomever else you might want to get rid of, uh, or maneuver, and and do something with it in the next draft, yeah. you know. So, um, but again, I mean, if we're going zero to one hundred on this thing, man, um, even the whole totality of the conversation, it's extremely low. And I, for one, would be greatly saddened if Kirk Cousins was not. Yeah, that was my next question. So I know you just said what the possibility of it maybe happening was, but my next question would have been, how would the fans receive that, him leaving? As, you know, yeah. Um, well, yeah, that that's, uh, that, that's a good part of it um, because to whom much is given, much is expected. And, you know, when you take the first fully guaranteed three-year deal, close to $100 million, uh, and your first season, 2018, is your worst season that you've had with us, well, in a habit state like Minnesota, you're gonna you're gonna get you know people who are hard headed and hold grudges and can't, uh, in my opinion, see the forest for the trees when it comes to who the man is and how he plays. Um, the whole playoff conversation with Kirk 
it, it's it's basically a non-reality with me uh, because his game against the New York Giants last year, I mean, outside of the dump check down at the end, holy cow, Kirk lit him up just like he did on Christmas Eve. So, and then we went to New Orleans in the playoffs in 19, and he threw a game he threw a game winning touchdown pass to Kyle Rudolph. So, in between there, we went to San Francisco and got trucked by a team that, by the way, went to the Super Bowl and was one Emmanuel Sanders overthrow from winning the Super Bowl. So, those are his playoff games with us. So, get off the playoff bullcrap, man. There's not enough of an example for people to analyze. But if Kirk Cousins were gone, um, I think that there would be a facet of the fan base that would be happy and they wouldn't concede they were scared because it, getting a quarterback even as good as Kirk Cousins ain't easy in this game, man. No. I've just seen it too long. It's not easy. I hate asking speculation questions, but do you think fans would want to focus? If that was, if this did happen, this theoretical scenario, would fans want to focus more on rebuilding or win now, in your opinion? Well, if there were yeah. a trade? Mm-hmm. Um, well, if there were a trade, my full expectation would be that they would uh, beg, borrow, and steal and take whatever they have to get one of two quarterbacks everybody loves in the upcoming draft. Uh, now, if these quarterbacks, I guess five or six of them, I don't watch a ton of college ball, but I'm watching more this year, man, because I'm just hearing so much about these quarterbacks. And um, and and there look to be, you know, just again, with a not no all 22 just watching them and kind of feeling the action, not knowing if their offensive lines are good. Uh, there are a few that I've watched a couple of times that, okay, I get it. It's like into 2020, um, the 2020 draft is weirding at the NFL scouting combine because uh, the pandemic, the COVID pandemic hit right after the combine. So my radio show was at the combine. And we everybody kept saying in 2020 um, – this will be the greatest wide receiver draft in the history of the NFL. I mean, I'm old school. I'm like, I got to see 20. I got to see 25 before I can say that. I said it 15 or 16 into it from Jerry Judy, who hasn't been one of the better ones. JJ, uh, just on and on. Darnell Mooney back in the fifth. KJ Osborne, uh, Gabe Davis. So they were right about that. A lot of the same people are telling me uh, this is the deepest quarterback draft potentially in the history of the NFL where you can get quarterbacks six or seven through 11, 12, or 13, and they're probably going to play. And you can get three of them who could change it like Mahomes. Um, so not be Mahomes, but just change it. Well, that's, I mean, if, if you got a draft coming up here, man, with with a, with a Mahomes-ish type, um, a Burrow type, a Herbert type, um, and, you know, whomever else you want to put, in, in in ballyhooed fashion and i don't have a quarterback well i mean i'm in a bad position <laughs> negotiating because they know i got to give everything but what well, depending want? on how bad the team does this year the vikings you won't even need the trade to get a, a good quarterback under kirk cousins well i'm really hoping we don't do badly i mean <laughs> i mean i'm really hoping we go to carolina and beat the carolina panthers and come home and pull an upset against uh, mahomes and uh, i think after that we might be at chicago we can win that one so if, if, I mean, either be biblically mm-hmm. bad, you know, and either just have an identity of, of black or white, no gray area. Let's, if it's going to be bad, then it's going to be bad and we got to deal with it. Haven't had one of those really since 2013, man. So that would be weird. 
and they would hate it and they would be sad and there would be changes with your know, players and stuff. But um, or win three of your next three um, or two of your next three and get back in this bad boy and then tighten up like two or three things and um, rattle off four in a row, man. You were eight and one last year after beating Buffalo in one of the most exciting games I've ever called or, or been part of in my life. Um, man, we don't have anything close to that yet. I mean, we've just had nothing close to the excitement of, of a handful of those games last year. Mm. What do you think the problem is with Kirk Cousins? You mentioned his deep ball accuracy. He can throw, and he does have some weapons, obviously, in Justin Jefferson. But what do you think the problem is? Do you think it's the offensive line? Do you think yeah, it's the yeah. running game as well? I, I don't think there is a problem with Kirk Cousins. I think okay. if he consistently had a line – specifically on the interior, as we've seen, it's, it's, I'm not formulating an opinion. It's right there for everybody to see. And the amount of hits he took last year tops in the NFL. Um, it, it just, if, if you protect Kirk cousins consistently now, it, it's gotta be Brady esque, you know, Kirk's getting better sliding in the pocket, but Kirk's not going to run around, uh, like Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers when he was younger. Uh, so you gotta do what new England did. And when the pocket closes, Kirk's good at sliding, and he will kill you. And, and you know, the one name you left out there uh, is USC rookie Jordan Addison, uh, who already has two touchdowns, should have had three. Um, and we're on to something with Jordan. <laughs> Jordan, I mean, I watch, I watch games back, man, and, you know, every quarterback in the history of the NFL has missed receivers in games. I'm telling you right now, Jordan is that close to whooping every corner off the line, and he's going to require some type of attention because he's really good off the line. Do you, so turnovers are a big problem, like I said. I know uh, Kevin O'Connell came out a little bit ago saying that he might start benching people uh, for these turnovers. Any possibility of that happening? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he said it. Yeah. So, you know, Kevin is um, – uh, Kevin cares so much, and he cares so much about the fans' happiness that – uh, Kevin, when I sat down with him Tuesday to do the one-on-one X's and O's interview, uh, he had, you could tell he hadn't slept and he's sad, man. Uh, this is all Kevin has coached 21 games. He's a younger guy who feels life and is mo and is mostly on the happy side, a free spirited kind of guy. And, and he has an appreciation for things. So man, I really like Kevin O'Connell and I really hope he succeeds big time. But, um, but when he so for him to say to start now playing the card, if certain things continue, well, yes, there will be benchings. Um, it's interesting. Last game, uh, just for whatever the reason, injury or whatever. I mean, just we we I've seen personnel things happening with us through the first three games, like LSU rookie defensive tackle Jaquel and Roy all of a sudden was active last week. Um, practice squad receiver Tristan Jackson all of a sudden was active. Punt returner Brandon Powell was playing some receiver late in the game. Now I think that's when JJ got you know got jacked up a little bit, uh, but nevertheless that was new. Uh, Brian uh, Asamoa was um, you know he was drafted pretty highly two years ago and he didn't play one defensive play in game three. Uh, undrafted Cincinnati kid Ivan Pace rookie played played almost the entire game. So it's happening now and Cam Akers is here. So Cam ain't here to not get to be inactive every single week. And they didn't bring him here for that, at least is my guess. And we also have new offensive lineman Dalton Reisner. 
They, they ain't bringing Dalton in to be like, hey, you know what, man? We like to pay you these millions of dollars, but uh, just hang out over here and, you know, in case something goes wrong. No, things have gone wrong, and, and there are jobs in jeopardy, I would imagine. Well, Paul, you, have, you kind of have a competition sandwich coming up. Coming up. I mean, we, we play the Panthers uh, in Carolina next, uh, this weekend, Sunday. Uh, then you you play Kansas City uh, at home in Minnesota, like you said, and then you play the Bears uh, in you know, three weeks from now. So hopefully, you know they can be uh, two and three, uh, or at least two and three, maybe even three and three. Uh, yeah, let's hope. Let's hope that that can happen for your fan base. I do want to talk about the Twins though. Uh, clinched the AL Central last weekend. Um, haven't won a playoff series since two thousand two. What are we thinking about the Twins heading into October? Are we optimistic for these playoffs, or are we fearing a repeat of history coming up? Well, um, you're you're right about the years, but we can even make it worse if you want. I hope I'm not wrong with this. I think they. I don't. I don't think they've won a playoff game. Eighteen games since O two or O three. It's like eighteen mm-hmm. in a row. Woo! Um, I'm I'm excited about this uh, because. I'm not going to go back through Brad Radke and whomever followed him or Johan Santana and whomever followed him. I'm telling you this this Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray one-two has some bulldog to, uh, to it. So I like that one-two punch pitching. They have some arms uh, who are fresh, who are talented, and who are going well right now in the bullpen, like Louis Varland. Um, uh, and they just got Chris Paddock back. Now he's a starter, you know, who's coming off pretty significant injury, and he pitched yesterday. And and it was lights out right out of the gate, but then but then got knocked around a little bit. Um, and uh, Royce Lewis is capturing the imagination of the nation. So you know they're they're healing him and and just you know pampering him up to the postseason. Uh, and they have all three games at Target Field. So now we're sweating. You know what's Texas doing? And um, and then you got Seattle, Houston, and Toronto. Um, you know, like like I think Toronto may have won three of its last ten. Houston's won four of its last ten, something like that. Uh, none of these teams are are lights out cinches to beat anybody. Now, I don't really want to hook Houston in the playoffs because I just have such a high level of respect for super talented players like Jose Altuve and and Jordan Alvarez and uh, Jeremy Pena, even um, uh, along with um, Bregman and. Uh, and Jose Abreu, a former MVP, you know, those guys just know how to eh, push that button at that time of the year and somehow beat you down. I mean, Verlander's coming off an unbelievable start two days ago um, where he struck out 10, I think, uh, in eight innings. So who wants to deal with that? Now, Seattle and uh, Toronto, okay, if it's Houston, it's Houston, whatever. But, um, yeah, I'm jacked for this thing, man. This is going to be really cool. Who are cool. the fans clamoring for in the first round? Astros, Rangers, Mariners, Blue Jays, all all possibilities, as you said. Who are the fans actually clamoring for? Great question. I haven't followed it super closely. Uh, what I would do is um, is I would uh, probably relegate myself to the baseball guys I have on my radio show. Um, and, and they tell me, you know, that Toronto or Seattle would be the right one. I think they share the same emotions that I do with Houston. I mean, the I think Houston, yeah, Houston swept us the last time we were in the playoffs. I mean, it was ugly. Uh, they might have gone on to win the World Series, and there were no trash cans involved. Uh, but nevertheless, they swept us. Um, my personal uh, Seattle would be the one for me, um, simply because I mean Julio Rodriguez and and Crawford and Suarez and Kellenic and I mean that France. I mean they they have 
a Cal Raleigh. They have guys who are anonymous because they play in Seattle who are good. Um, I think you can tag their bullpen. Um, I do like their pitching. I do like George Kirby and uh, some other guys they have, but they're inexperienced, and we have a lot of inexperience too. And plus, uh, one of my favorite radio guys in the iHeart Radio family, Softy in Seattle on KJR, he'd be on my radio show like every single day. And not only are those free segments, those are good free segments. So, uh, Twins, in the division, only team with a positive uh, run differential at 110 and only winning record in the division to uh, the AL Central. What are the fans? Are the fans hopeful that this hitting is going to continue in the playoffs in the postseason? No. No. Minnesota sports fans don't come into it hopeful. Uh, they just don't. I mean, I'm from Washington, D.C., and I've lived all over the world, but, you know, I um, I moved here full-time in 98, so, I mean, I've, I've felt it with them for a long time. They don't come into things hopeful. They come into things mostly pessimistic, and, uh, and uh, even though I'm of the hashtag faith positive variety generally, um, I, I, I'm not mad at them. I understand. Um, I mean, the Wild last year against Dallas – the Wolves against Memphis and the play-in against the Lakers, the Vikings against the Giants. You know, the Vikings then get close. Minneapolis Miracle get killed by the Eagles. Um, I, I, it just never stops. It, it never stops. Well, the baseball team hasn't won, what? They've lost 18 in a row games, mm-hmm. not series. So, yeah, I mean, it's they're probably, you know, like me. It's like, it's awesome it's happening. Um, it'd be really cool if they won. But I'm not going to, like, shove my emotional chips in and be like, I'm not watching a game for a year unless they win this series. Nah, I'm just, I'm just uh, I can't, I love the Major League Baseball playoffs. Oh, I just, it's the drama and the tension. Uh, that's And the Major League Baseball All-Star game is the bomb, too. So MLB's not like, like with you and uh, your cohort, your co-host there, uh, you know, that generation and your age. Baseball's not the most popular thing in the world anymore, and and I get it. I'm not 57-year-old guy who's like, that generation sucks and is entitled and all that. No, man, it's your generation. So it's your generation. Let, let's all make it work together. Uh, but baseball is not winning with your generation. Um, but uh, the baseball playoffs, now that if you like intensity, you know, and then betting's available everywhere and like underdog fantasy and daily fantasy and all that there, there are ways to make it fun mm-hmm. inexpensively if you don't dig it uh but man I, I don't do any of that because i just like sitting back and uh, watching it it's been a huge up uptick though with the um pitch clock though it's been a i mean for our generation younger, younger oh yeah people it's been a huge Good point, uptick. Rob. uh yeah and me just and, me and justin are both uh phillies fans so we can definitely contest that uh mlb playoffs are mm, you're phillies are. fans <laughs> oh where are you guys out made? of philly yep Oh, right on, man. Oh, wait a second here. I'll, I'll, I mean, I get my head bashed in every single time I come to Lincoln Financial to call mm-hmm. a Vikings game. Not by the fans because they got me in a nice comfy spot, uh, when I, uh, but, uh, but by the games. <laughs> I mean, we either get killed or we lose in weird fashion. So I didn't know you guys were from Philly or I might have said yeah. no. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. Yeah, that whoever was texting me, man, whoever was texting me, sneaky, I'm playing with you. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, JT Realmuto, uh, Kyle Gibson, who used to pitch here, uh, is, a, is a very good friend of mine. Uh, and he's having an excellent year for the Baltimore Orioles. 
And um, so through my my Faith and Goal podcast and, and our Christianity, um, Kirk, I've learned a lot about J.T. Realmuto and his belief and faith in the gospel of Christ and the New Testament and the Bible and God and Holy Spirit and all that. So it just getting to know Real Muto on that um, on that mm-hmm. platform and from that side. Oh, boy, I got a lot of respect for him. He's a wonderful, wonderful. No, he's uh, he's like in Philly. I mean, he always will be like in Philly as well. So, you know, we can definitely contest to that. So, so what's the Phillies' lot in life? I look at the NL occasionally. They're in the playoffs. Are they the first wild card? Yes. Yes, they're they just clinched a playoff berth uh, okay. last night Ooh. at the time Ooh. of this recording. How um how how is Nola going? He's kind of on and off, but he, last night he pitched a good game. Last yeah. night I thought he pitched yep. well. Yeah, see, he I mean Aaron Nola, uh, another wonderful guy by the way, really close with Kyle. Um um he he just don't you just got to believe that he's one of those guys like okay it's here <sighs> here we go maybe he has a terrible playoff record i don't know but like here with the twins pablo lopez and sonny gray you know it's it's you think even at this stage of his career verlander okay well maybe older verlander's having a bad day maybe but if he's not and he's lights out who's going to be surprised that's how it should be with Aaron Nola in a postseason game now, like Spencer Strider, I love him, and I think Atlanta's the bomb. But you know, a lot of things are new here for Spencer, and and um, and uh, just the totality of long series and pressure and stuff. So it's all that kind of stuff that I just really, really love about MLB. Yeah, and I was going to say, like we we loved postseason last year, obviously in the MLB, and you know we liked it until we didn't, of course. <laughs> Philly was the. Phillies, the Philly uh, city in general was, we were the best losers last year. I mean, we were, we were literally the biggest losers last year as a city in general. I mean, you got the union. Oh, we, oh, come on, bro. I mean, okay. I mean, let, let's be honest here. You got Joel Embiid. You got a Super Bowl championship that took place in my building. Uh, the Flyers are a work in progress, I guess. Uh, and, um, and the Phillies, I mean, you can hearken to, past John Cruck back to Greg Luzinski and Pete Rose. So, I mean, the Philly, the Philly sports market, I never have to deal with the fans outside of things being thrown at our buses when we're coming in three hours before the game or the flip-off or whatever. Excuse me for doing that on your podcast. Um, you know, but but it is legit that when you get up there and what at the vet would have been the 700s, but at up to and, – and if you're wearing a jersey and if you bark back – you know, you're going to hear a few things. And I'm from the East Coast. I'm from Washington, yeah. D.C. So, you know, I'm certainly not going to say that it's Philadelphia or New York-esque. But, you know, I get East Coast mentality uh, uh, better than a lot of people who are lifetime Minnesotans. Uh, so I know if if Jared or whomever barks, turn the other cheek, barks again, turns the other cheek. Now, if you start feeling hot dog buns on your back, uh, that's where I would like to confront somebody and sadly be one of those viral videos going over the chairs with a, like ladies trying to pull you off. But I'm turning the other cheek guy. I would go to security and I would say, my man's doing this. Can he please be removed? And so it does happen, but it, it is real and it can be vile way up at these stadiums, man, in Philadelphia. It's legit. I'm not, you know, bad talking. It's just legit. You guys probably know that. But where I am, I mean, the, the booth next to Merrill Reese and Mike Quick, and we've been, and I've been to Philly a fair amount of times calling games. Um, it's I don't know if it's a club level or whatever in front of me, man. It's it's just about the nicest people you ever meet. 
you know, these people from Ocean City, New Jersey have season tickets there I've seen. Um, there's a group from Putztown, look like Pottstown, but it's, it's Putztown. Um, and they, you know, uh, Frank and Sally, whatever their names are. So everything has good and bad. It, it's it's all unto how you handle it. How many times have you met Meryl Reese and, and Mike Quick? What was your interactions like with them? Um, I, I probably embraced or shaken his hand or had him on my radio show, Meryl. I don't know, 15, 16 times. He's, yeah, he's, he's in what I do play by play for the Minnesota Vikings. You know, like I've done that 22 years. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. Well, then you talk to Merrill and we're talking about Harold Carmichael and, and uh, Wilbur Montgomery. And we're getting back to uh, the late Jerome Brown. God rest his soul. It's just the stories he can tell the class man. He is, he's a gentleman, and uh, and at his age, low 80s, man, and he can still call a game and still call it with pop. I, I just I have a lot of reverence for him. Mike Quick is sharp. He's cool. Um, I like them both a lot. Outside Minnesota, where's your favorite uh, city to broadcast in, Paul? Um, I like, um, I mean, from a booth <laughs> standpoint, which, you know, so, like, say we go to um, – we're going to play the Patriots. Well, we're going to stay in Providence. I don't know much about Providence, but probably have a meal, lay in the hotel room, get up early, take a long bus ride through Foxborough, and then get to Gillette. Uh, but, see, then when you get there and you're at the game and no fans are there yet and I'm on the field praying with the players, talking about the game, doing the pregame show, I mean, that's as, – as kids would say, that's lit. <laughs> I mean, that's that's still 22 into it. I just love every minute of it. So then now, what, what, what are the work circumstances here? FedEx Field in Washington is an embarrassment, an absolute embarrassment, so badly that after the pandemic, Maryland Mike chose not to go call a game there because it sucks. And it's, it's poorly thought out. It's, it just is very difficult to do your job. That's the worst. Um, the booth at New England, at Gillette, woo, hey. Mm -hmm. um, uh, where the Ravens play, I think it's M&T Bank. Hey, um, U.S. Bank Stadium, they were super kind here when we opened in 2016 and like 2014 or 15 when they started building it. Uh, the marketing man um, at that time, Steve LaCroix, and and some operations people, well, they were nice enough to get with me and be like, if, if you know, because where they have my booth at home, U.S. Bank Stadium, is on the 30 behind the Vikings bench. Everybody else is, is if you look at this right here, you know, I'm like here and then they're back like in a corner and kind of high above the press box. Well, you know, it was very kind of them to give up a suite and suite revenue, you know, so that their home broadcast team could have a really good vantage point. And our spotted U.S. Bank Stadium is the best in the NFL because it's deep. It's wide. Um, it's right next to the Vikings coaches. Uh, so you can get a kind of a feel for how things are going there. Uh, the booth of Philadelphia is small. I don't like the table uh, because it's just not long enough to put my stuff. The vantage point is fantastic, and I'm next to Merrill. Um, we're going to be in Charlotte this weekend. I think the Carolina booth is uh, basically like I like low-level video game type angle, uh, like Soldier Field. You're in the lower level, basically 20 rows up, helmet high. Um, now, I've called horse races for 30, 31 years. So, you know, like think Philly Park. Um, so I do, I, I call more of the game off binoculars than any play-by-play -play guy in the NFL. And it doesn't make me better or worse. I'm just very comfortable with binoculars because of the 
32,000 horse races that I've called over the course of 31 years. Um, so that's why if I have a certain angle with my binoculars, boom, we in. So, Paul, we got uh, N- NBA tip-off October 24th, NHL tip-off, uh, uh, kickoff, whatever you want to call it, October 10th. Uh, puck drop. Pu- puck drop, puck yeah. Drop. <laughs> um, I-, I don't want to ask such a... Yeah, watch out how you say that. <laughs> I don't want to ask such a general question, but what are we thinking about the Wild and uh, Timberwolves going into this year? Wild, disappointing season last year. You can make the argument from a national standpoint, anyhow, Timberwolves kind of exceeded expectations last year. What are we thinking um, going into this year? I guess we can start with hockey uh, being closer to the puck drop. <laughs> um, I think the Wild, uh, I'm not a, like a biblical purgatory guy. I don't believe it exists, <laughs> but the word purgatory does. So, therefore, just take that and know that they're in um, they're in kind of a, uh, a purgatory-type situation right now with the um, – where they are in the Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi contract situation, which I believe the totality of those deals come off at the end of next season. Um, Then they're going to be able to spend. Kaprizov is the real deal. The playoffs have not been great for him, but he's phenomenal. And the attention he gets is terrific. Um, And uh, they have a young goaltender that, that is young, but he's very good. So the future looks good. Winning the Stanley Cup right now, it'd be cool if they did it, but I, I can't grandstand here and say they will. Uh, the Timberwolves, they brought in Rudy Gobert mm-hmm. last year, and um, it didn't. It just, with all due respect, it didn't work. I mean, him and Cat on the court at the same time was weird. Rudy, all of a sudden, his block shots were down. Um, you know, he's two-time Defensive Player of the Year, man. He wasn't close to that last year, and it got so bad at the end of the year. You know, we got we got players fighting on the bench in front of the crowd. Um, Rudy Gobert and Kyle Anderson. Uh, So Anthony Edwards is very, very, very good. Very gifted. Um, Is he in the MVP conversation? He has a chance to show he is because God gifted him in a way with the big LeBron frame and the handles um, where, yeah, it's there. You know, to get into the MVP conversation, team needs to be better. Uh, So, yeah, it's fun, uh, but it's they, they aren't teams that I can say and jump in there and be like, this is the year. Yeah, they got a lot of way to go. I mean, wild though. Is there a what's the vibe with the wild? I mean, is there kind of this sense of a higher expectation for the team just being the state of hockey? Great question. Uh, because of the state of hockey tag that was put on, <laughs> I believe started by the wild. Yeah, this is the state of hockey. I mean, it's seriously you got to live here to to know how deep it goes to you know grandma wearing skates and the zamboni and. And, and grooming the ice and, you know, the kids starting at four and just how arduous it is. So, I mean, it's it's everything here for, for youth sports. Um, so they come into it because the Wild, I mean, the Wild really never has been awful or hasn't been awful in a long time. And they've had some good teams that, you know, they had some really good teams, man, that sadly they kept hooking Kane, Taves, and Keith and Corey Crawford right at the tops of their careers. And um, then then we would lose in what locals would say is a very Minnesota way where, you know, we're writing a game, writing a game. Hey, everybody's going crazy. Got the foam finger and stuff. And then Patty Kane hits one off the stanchion and somehow it goes in and you're like, what? It's like, that's it? It's kind of like the TJ Hawkinson thing last year in football. What? After all those games, that's it? Whoa. Um, so they, um, but 
when they get those Parisian suitor contracts off, I mean, now all of a sudden, you know, you can look at a, a five, six, seven, eight, nine million dollar centerman and be like, he's ours because players don't have a problem coming here. I know it's cold, but think about, you know, a lot of Europeans and a lot of people grew up in rinks. The cold doesn't get to the NHLers the way it does NBA and NFL. Um, where it legitimately impacts free agency in the NBA. And plus, they play so many games with, hey, KD, where are you going? Okay, I'm going to go here. And then how are we going to work the money and the agents and all that stuff? And I love the NBA, but that stuff's frustrating. NHL ain't like that at all, man. They just, uh, they, if you have the money and you have the right people on your team, Bill Guerin is our GM and he's the bomb. Bill is super cool. He's done a good job here, too, keeping this thing playoff good despite Parisian Suter situation and the buyout. Um, but uh, so Garen, I mean, that's HOF type player, and he was tough as bleep too. So people remember him, and they're like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's go. We're going to do this together. So we just got to get money. We just got to get money and 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 keep Kaprizov and grow Kaprizov. Matt Boldy uh, from out uh, your neck of the woods, actually Massachusetts, but closer than me. Uh, Matt needs to jump up a little bit. And um, – and let's see, and the veterans like Ryan Hartman and Marcus Foligno eventually. Uh, Jonas Brodeen is, you know, I mean, he's a phenomenal defender, but not a goal scorer, and he's very subtle with what he does at a high level. They just, they all got to be really, really, really good almost every game until the Wild gets some financial flexibility to take some heat off other players. Well, in hockey, I always say it. You never know who who gets you know, you don't have to be the number one seed to win Agreed. the Stanley Cup. And that's Agreed. both conferences, and yep. that goes for all the NHL, too. Yep. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. well, I know. I mean, the eight and the one in basketball is ridiculous. But, you know, now I like the way the NFL kind of has done this thing now with, you know, adding the extra wild card team because you get more exciting games and you got to take, like, when the Rams won it, you know, they had to go through Arizona. They, it's just the path is a little different. Major League Baseball, the way they've done it, that's more interesting to me, too. And now for kids or the younger generation, the pitch clock, you know, like your man mentioned over there, I'd forgotten about that. But, yeah, that makes it more fun to watch baseball. Um, so that that's all fun. But you're right. It's, it's the L.A. Kings won the Stanley Cup from the eighth seed. Um, but, see, like here in the Western Conference, um, like Colorado with McKinnon and Edmonton with McDavid and Dreisaitl, you know, you you have some teams that can hang sevens on you, but they can't stop you <laughs> when 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 they have to stop you. I'm certainly not hearkening to Bobby Clark and the Broad Street Bullies. You know, that was a different generation of hockey. Um, but it's the Western Conference is a little on the quirky side. I thought the the Vegas Golden Knights, you know, they had a lot of injuries last year. The LA Kings, Kopitar's unbelievable, man. He just, every single year, he's still really good and he's super old. Uh, the Eastern Conference, man, you know, with uh, with uh, with the Flyers Conference and everything, well, those teams out there are more tightly contested and congested and lower scores. And, you know, it's 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 beautiful, man. I, I really like the NHL. And, and college hockey in this state is massive, by the way. Mm. The Golden Gophers went to the Frozen Four last year, uh, lost to, I think, Quinnipiac maybe. Um, so we got, you know, University of Minnesota, St. Cloud State, Duluth, um, North Dakota on the other side of the border. You know, the ho- hockey in this state uh, is no joke. Well, Paul, this has been awesome. Really appreciate your time. Really had a fun time. 
have to ask a gopher question on my way out here. Uh, we concerned about the new Big Ten next year. No more divisions, no more East, no more West. Uh, what are we yeah. thinking about uh, next year for this new yeah. revamped uh, Big Ten powerhouse uh, conference now? Yeah, I mean, uh, on my 9 to noon show at uh, KFAN, um, KFAN.com, if anybody wants to learn more about any of our shows, um, you know, we, we, I have PJ Fleck, coach of the Gophers, on every Monday. Um, and like I told you earlier, I'm watching more college football this year, A, because of Deion Sanders. And my daughter goes to uh, University of Colorado Boulder. She's a, uh, she's a junior um, and lives right by the stadium. And I'm out there, you know, even before Deion got there, I was out there five times a year just to, K fans, very uh, cool in that. You know, you think like in Philadelphia, you got WIP, like what would be another sports station? Okay, let's just say WIP. So like say WIP and K-Fan were in the same family. Well, um, I'd be able to come to Philly and do my uh, Minnesota radio show from a studio at WIP. In Colorado, um, KOA is the big station. So they're in our family. So I go there and I do a couple of days of radio shows back to Minnesota, and then I spend the rest of the day and the night with my daughter. It's about the only way I get to see her, um, you know, being a thousand miles away. So I get out there a fair amount. And that Dion thing out there, <laughs> uh, it's uh, even off the blowout. It's unbelievable, man. Uh, and the players he brought in. Uh, so I'm watching more of that. But um, outside of that, I don't really follow it that closely. Um, I follow the Gophers pretty closely. Um, but um you know, there always are going to be transitions for teams. And and the starting center for the Giants, uh, John Michael Schmitz, well, he was with the Gophers last year. And uh, Mohamed Ibrahim, he's either on the Lions practice squad or he's out of the league or he's somewhere. Um, well, he's gone. A quarterback, Tanner Morgan, he pushed the Steelers right to the limit to, to make the practice squad, and he got beat. You know, so – but he's no longer on the team. So they um they're in transition right now a little bit. Um, and they should win this weekend. Then after that, they um, they jump into some top. I'd love to get your uh, opinion on the flack that PJ Fleck got earlier in the year uh, with being too hard on the players. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, I, you know what? I, I don't I don't know sure. enough about it. I've never asked PJ about it. And being somebody who's worked with a team and in a locker room um, for 22 years, I, I never go down that road because. It's 2 2020, 2021, 22, and 23. Get the morsel and make the big salad out of it. Nah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not into that. Even if I knew anything, um, you know, like he said this, or it's completely 100% wrong. I uh, just, there's just so many things that happen in life, positively and negatively, where if people brought up, things that were half truths or whatever or complete zeros or 100s unless you're in that situation even on my radio show i'm not one to uh, really talk about things like that because it's unfair it's just unfair to somebody somehow well paul this has been really fun can't tell you enough how much we appreciate, appreciate you guys we'll, we'll be doing it again uh sometime soon love to have you on again and talk some more on minnesota sports yeah, I mean, if, if the Vikings happen to um, hook Philly in the playoffs or if we make the playoffs or uh, if we got a Wolves Sixers game or whatever, man, just, yeah, keep me in mind. You guys were fantastic. And uh, God bless and best yeah, of luck to both of you, okay? Some time. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank All you. All right. Until then, see you, Paul. See you all later, man. That was a lot of fun.
Okay, guys, staple of Thursday's show to finish up, our maker and fakers of the week. Justin, we'll start with you. Who's your maker of the week? My maker of the week is Chip Trainum, running back for Ohio State, coming up big on the last play of the game at Notre Dame. Big win for Ohio State as they are in the top four rankings of the college football playoffs. Chip Trainum doing pretty good this year, 25 rushes for 146 yards to start the season, including two touchdowns with the game winner on Saturday night at Notre Dame. I'm going to go with Raheem Mostert for my maker of the week. 31 years old, running back for the Dolphins. That's, I mean, for running back years, you know, especially after this uh, off-season drama that we all saw going on, that's pretty ancient for a running back. So he's proving a lot of people wrong in Miami uh, against Denver this past weekend. 13 rushes, 82 yards with three rushing touchdowns. I mean, that's no surprise. I think everyone ate pretty well on uh, Sunday against the against the Broncos if you were on Miami or on the Dolphins. But but just for his age, I think just in general, the season that he's having, Raheem Mostert, playing really, really well. I mean, um, I, just for his age, I think he's proving well, a lot of people wrong, a lot of people, especially in Miami, wrong. Uh, and he's playing, playing really well for the Dolphins and a big reason why they're having success. Uh, Zach, who's your maker of the week? How could it be anybody other than Travis Kelsey? The man had a touchdown catch the other day, and also he's uh, with Taylor Swift now. He's even got her up meeting his mom up in the box, and his jersey sales have spiked 400%. Women know who Travis Kelsey is all over the world. He's probably the most famous athlete outside of Lionel Messi on the planet right now, and he's in just about every other commercial. And This dude has crossed over in the last nine months from just one of the best tight ends ever to – a pop culture phenomenon. He hosted Saturday Night Live. Now he's got Taylor Swift. How can it be anybody other than Travis Kelsey? Yeah, that was that was one of those situations where that game was so bad they needed another storyline to make it something other than the game because yeah, probably the best team in the league, arguably. Well, Dolphin, besides the Dolphins, I mean, at least the second best, if not the best, uh, down the stretch of the of the season, Kansas City against. By the way, I just thought of this. You know that the Chiefs and Dolphins are playing this year, but they're playing in like Germany, yeah, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. They're not playing in America. Yeah, yeah. You think uh, you think of the NFL schedule makers? Yeah, put well, the game at Arrowhead. That's going to be way, way more interesting. Plus, that's Tyreek Hill's return. That should have been the first game of the season. Well, they never. Yeah, really. They also never have good games overseas either. So that's that's surprising. I mean, the London games, the Germany games that. They're usually pretty bad matchups, so I'm I'm really surprised, just even from that. Oh, it'll be the greatest overseas game of all time. We'll oh yeah, at nine in the morning. That's what I'm saying. They're usually matchup. terrible matchups, but this is I'm surprised that they actually. I didn't. Know, I actually didn't even know they were playing in uh, Germany. I I didn't know that game was actually in Germany. I'm really surprised. I think it's Germany, London. Still, it's one of them. It's still not surprising. In faker of the week. Yeah, Justin, we'll start with you. Who's your faker of the week? DJ Ungali the quarterback from Oregon State, not having a great game, 198 yards, a touchdown, and an interception, losing at Washington State. Oregon State, they definitely should lose their ranking. This is a team, as I just said, with the rankings on complaintatives. Oregon, this is a team that should lose their rankings, as I said, after the loss to Washington State on the road. Washington State should be ranked higher after this game. Mm-hmm. They are. Yeah. What's their ranking now? I, I, I can look it up. Washington 16th. Street. 16th, they're 16th. ranked. Okay. All right. And Zach, how do you pronounce his name? Uh, DJs? Ongiagole. 
you're the king of that, yeah. Uh, my uh, faker of the week, Michael Parsons. He's been my faker in the past as well. Uh, this past weekend, he said that in preparation of the Cardinals game, he was throwing darts at a picture of uh, Josh Dobbs on on his uh, you know board. Uh, and then they ended up losing to arguably the worst team in the Cardinals. Uh, you know, I think it was what I think it was like twenty six to eighteen, something like that. Twenty eight to sixteen. Yeah. So yeah, Michael Parsons talking a big game, um, and then ends up losing a game that they definitely, definitely should have won. So mine's nice, nice and sweet. Michael Parsons yet again, my faker of the week. Zach, how about all right? Yeah, Zach, Zach, how about you? What's your faker of the week? Let's uh, finish up here. Yeah. Yeah, that defense gave up a lot of big plays, but my favorite of the week's got to be Sean Payton. You talk about what he said in the preseason that Nathaniel Hackett did one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL, then he's banning his players from wearing bucket hats and sunglasses as though that has anything to do with any team being successful or not successful, and telling Russell Wilson, quit kissing babies in preseason. Well, guess what? Now you're 0-3. You just gave up 70 points against the Dolphins, one of the most embarrassing performances in the history of the NFL. And you're arguably one of the worst teams in football. Russell Wilson's going to get a lot of the blame, and deservedly so. But Sean Payton was a Hall of Fame caliber coach when he was in New Orleans. And right now, he's been one of the worst coaches in the league. And you hope they don't coach himself out of the Hall of Fame. But if the Broncos don't do anything this next year or so, and he's going to get more than one season. This isn't going to be Nathaniel Hackett 2.0. But right now, with all the talk in preseason where you're trying to neuter your team and you're trying to do – various other things and you're calling out your predecessor for doing a bad job well you better do a pretty good job if you're going to do that and right now that's not happening and with the schedule they've got coming up they still haven't played kansas city yet they still haven't played the chargers yet they still got to play the packers they've got some good teams coming up on their schedule i think things are about to get worse before they get better for sean payton okay guys great show um we'll do this all again on saturday show interview still working out the kinks of that but as always it'll be a great interview a relevant topic, something in football, baseball coming up as well. So we'll definitely have uh, somebody on to talk about uh, baseball. Uh, like I said, wild card play, uh, playoffs officially start in the MLB on Tuesday, on uh, next Tuesday, October 3rd. A lot of cool stuff coming up there. Like I said, also in the uh, previous, previously on this episode, we'll have uh, Bob Nightingale from USA Today on again to give us a uh, full, full length, uh, deep dive into the MLB playoffs and uh, what to expect going into October. But yeah, until then, guys, we'll do this all again on Saturday and keep on traveling.